Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Hi, welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I've got a special guest, but someone who's been around this uh, mic a time or two. Her name is Sonda Allison from Myrtle Ministries. She's had the privilege of being on, well, I think you've been the guest that has been on the most times in, in, in uh, all the guests that I've had on. Sonda has also been the only one that I've let guest host the show. And you know what? She's just been counted a really good friend, mentor, partner in the ministry, partner in crime, demon butt kicker. Yeah, that's Sonda. <laughs> Oh, man. Hey, Sonda, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. What a nice introduction that was. Yeah, it's always fun when we get together, and it's a privilege to be with you. We're always glad to have you. So while a a good portion of my my audience might know who you are, you want to kind of give those that are maybe new an idea of kind of who you are, what you're about? Absolutely. I um have a ministry. The ministry is Myrtle Ministries, and it's like Myrtle Beach, M-Y-R-T-L-E. And the uh, website is MyrtleMinistries.com. That ministry is a three-pillar ministry that deals with inner healing, counseling. It also deals with spiritual warfare training and deliverance wherever it's necessary. And the third pillar is discipleship, the way that the ministry is approached is that I don't just sit there with a, like a typical psychologist would, where they're just making occasional notes and letting you talk. We actually interact. I tell you what I'm, why I'm counseling you the way that I am, because then when you come out of the other end of the ministry, you're not only healing from what you came for counseling for in the first place, you're equipped and trained in spiritual warfare, and you're equipped and trained through the discipleship process to actually be able to minister to others. And so I only deal in my ministry with mature believers and people in ministry to get them equipped. And it's a calling that I felt like the Lord gave me to equip the remnant in the last days. That's a major focus. And what we, that's what we are, um, our main goal is in the ministry. And boy, oh boy, is that ever needed. I wanted to bring you back on because you've had your, uh, your neck up deep in a project now, haven't you? Well, yeah, it's been a crazy ride for the last 60 days. Yeah, I've been working on a book for a while, and it, it's been mentioned in prior interviews. I got a word from the Lord that was confirmed through multiple sources that God was saying, okay, now I want you to stop what you're doing and finish this. And it became also clear that was also confirmed multiple times that the Lord wanted me to release the book at the Steve Quayle Branson conference that was just in Branson, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, that was the uh, what is answering the alien question? Yes, the Genesis six uh, conference that they did answering the alien question. It was fantastic, and I highly encourage any of your listeners to go um, get the video on demand or buy the DVDs. It was really truly outstanding. I purchased the DVDs because I wanted to be able to listen to this again. There's so much incredibly important information that was given there. And you can get that at the Gen 6 conferences website. Right. And I, um, after attend, cause I attended the online conference and I did it like a little wrap up, kind of some of my takeaways after that particular conference, but I didn't even touch, I didn't even scratch the surface on that one. Yeah, it was wonderful. And, and it was also the first time Mike Adams was there. So 
And a lot of people said that he was either their favorite speaker or one of their favorite speakers on this on this amazing roster of speakers. So it was uh, really, really good. Uh, Steve Quayle knocked it out of the park as well. So it's one of the best presentations I've seen him do. So it was really good from top to bottom. L.A. Marzulli always knocks it out of the park. Dr. Michael Lake. So there's, um, it, you won't be sorry if you go watch the conference. Getting back to your book, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, about the book? What's it about? And we'll kind of go from there. Oh, thank you, Teresa. The, the title of the book is Power Infusion. And because someone asked me about how I spelled infusion in one of my other interviews, because some people try to be clever with spelling, it's just the regular spelling of infusion. It's I-N-F-U-S-I-O-N. So Power Infusion is the title. It's available everywhere you buy books. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Book Locker. And if you don't see it at Amazon right away, because who knows what shenanigans Amazon is up to, if you put in the title Power Infusion and then my name, Sonda Allison, the book comes up right away. And um, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, and we will have a link to the book within the show notes. So all you guys got to do is go to unresolved.life, uh, find this interview, and you'll find it right there. Yes, thank you. That's going to be great. And that'll help people a lot. And to answer your question about what the book is about, the super short thumbnail is it's a guidebook that equips and empowers the remnant to be effective in the last days. The way and you are familiar and some of the listeners that have heard the interviews that you've done with me before might be a little bit familiar with what we do. And that is my contention is that well, not my contention, my assertion is that our spiritual warfare proficiency is intimately intertwined with our very relationship with the Lord. So I approach spiritual warfare training in a different way than what you may have heard. And because most people don't, aren't even familiar with spiritual warfare, it's been sanitized from the pulpits in the United States. It's extremely important for us to get this information, get equipped because of what's happening. And as we are recognizing the importance of it, because it's not just reserved for an emergency situation, it's something we are to walk in 24-7. Once we start realizing that and getting equipped, you start realizing, wow, it's actually completely transforming my very relationship with the Lord. So it's a 360 thing. It's not just something you pull out in an emergency. It's something you walk in 24-7. And the illustration that I would give is if there's an emergency, you don't want to have to run to another room to hunt for your cell phone and try and turn your cell phone on and then hope that you have a connection. And so if we're thinking about our relationship with the Lord and, and staying in prayer and being fully equipped, then that cell phone would represent that. We want to be walking in it all the time. So when we're getting up in the morning, I'm already clad in the armor of God. I've already got my spiritual radar on alert, make, seeing if there's any invaders that are trying to get over the wall of the city. I'm already putting my armor on throughout the day and staying in that prayer as I'm going through whatever I, I'm doing in my schedule that day. So the, the book is actually about this. It's a good, it's, and let me say it's an easy read, but it's full of lots of information, including lots of footnotes, scientific research, all kinds of things like that. But I also wrote it so that you can use it as a handbook. One of the ways that I did that is I, I gave a detailed contents section so that when you look up the contents, you can actually flip to something right away. If you want to get to a prayer or a section of the book that's on a certain topic, if you're in a warfare situation, you can use it in that way as well. What kind of topics are actually covered in the book? I start with kind of laying it down a foundation. Um, so the preface and the introduction are actually very important to the book. It's not something you can just ignore as it is in some books. 
Um, then I go through like the calling on every believer, laying down the groundwork of understanding that we are lower than the angels, understanding what the flaming arrows are that are referred to in, in Ephesians 6. Then I have a big section of understanding the problem. How did we get here? Why can't I make it stop? Which is addressing people who are believers and in ministry who have not been able to stop some forms of bondage in their lives. And then I talk about the infiltration to the church, into the church. I talk a lot about, about sleep, roots and theology, and I give you a battle plan, an extensive battle plan that actually works. That's the name of this section of the book, The How, a battle plan that actually works. And then I give you a lot of prayer weapons that actually you can just read until you get used to it. You can just read through some of these prayers and situations and you'll start to see things change. And I also, also go into why we need to pray a certain way. It's very important that we understand that because it's not about legalism. It's understanding how the enemy actually works and the, how the Lord has given for us to come against that, to make their stuff, their attacks against us, not powerful and effective. That's very interesting. So you actually referenced, for example, the arrows uh, that come our way. And I know that there's a lot of, a lot of um, discussion around that. What, in your opinion, are the actual arrows? When, it, when, when Paul says, you know, take up the shield of faith to deal with all the flaming arrows, what are the arrows? Yeah, and I've heard different people say different things, but I have settled upon, and that's what I write in the book, and I've heard L.A. Marzulli say this. He's had such an effective ministry, um, and I know him. He's a straight arrow, no, no pun intended. He's exactly who you would hope him to be. He's got a pastor's heart. He's been walking this path for decades and really, you know, is on the battlefield um, almost all the time. So he also agrees with this position that the flaming arrows are the unwanted thoughts. Not every thought is generated from yourself. And if you pay attention to your thoughts, you start to recognize that. And Dr. Michael Lake agrees with this view also. Not all of these thoughts that come to your head is um, is from the Lord or from yourself. They, you start to notice that they're coming from different places. So that's what the unwanted thoughts are. The That's what the flaming arrows are. They are the unwanted thoughts. And the shield of faith and the armor of God, learning how to deal with that, we do have a way to deal with it. That's also why scripture says to take every thought captive. Well, people just read past that and they're like, well, yeah, but what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Well, we get into that in the book. So you actually know how to do it. And as you're going through this journey, you see the fruit born of it. So it's not just someone saying a nonsensical or just pulling things out of thin air type of opinion. You get to see the fruit born of the Holy Spirit when things are working according to scripture. That's something that you'll see when you go through this because I've seen it consistently with all of my clients. You know, at first, I think it's kind of hard to pick up on, well, is this a lot coming from me or is this somewhere else? It's kind of hard to differentiate that outside versus in, inside influence. So now you also referenced uh, uh, the bondages. There's a lot of people that I've run across that are so, uh, for lack of a better term, screwed up. And they are just really out of shape, really out of sorts. You could tell there's stuff going on in their lives and they want to get free, but they don't know how. Exactly. And I can't possibly deal with all the people who want my help in counseling. That's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, because I need to, we need to reach a wider audience because this is not going to stay static. I think that's really important to understand. We are told in scripture, especially prof the prophetic words, 
that this supernatural power from the dark side is going to increase. And as that supernatural dark side power increases, the power that the Holy Spirit flows through us is going to increase because God's patterns repeat. And that's exactly what happened in Egypt. Okay. The dark side power is increasing. The Lord ups it. And every time, you know, when Moses went and threw his staff down, they're like, oh, we can do that. They were doing all of the same things. People in the modern Christian world in the United States, I suppose, forget this stuff because it's not talked about. So let's address this right now. It's a good place to address this. Supernatural power is absolutely real. It's absolutely real. But there are only two sources of it. And I really want to stress this. There's only the supernatural power that comes from the living God, the creator of all things, Yeshua HaMashiach. Then there's the supernatural power that comes through the Lord of darkness. There's only two sources. And we have to get that straight. Because when all of this gray area is coming into play, this is why people are accepting in churches. There's an infiltration into the, into the church of the occult. And it's massive. Well, that wouldn't happen if you understand this clearly. So supernatural power is absolutely real. And you were also, this is another major key. Every one of us, we were created to have a supernatural relationship. But that relationship is supposed to be with the living God, not with the Lord of darkness. By churches refusing to teach and sanitizing their pulpits from teaching anything about spiritual warfare, anything about sin, the gospel isn't even preached anymore. This is part of why there's been this slide. People don't realize it, but it's partly because they've removed teaching about spiritual warfare. Isn't it interesting that the very instructions on how to defeat the darkness was removed from the church that is now being infiltrated by darkness? Wow, that's not a coincidence. It almost sounds like the enemy kind of blindsided the church so that he could just waltz right in. Yeah, you think it was a plan? Yeah, these entities have been planning this stuff for millennia. So we need to we need to get up to speed and get back to the scripture and understand if we will just start, and the three of us, me, yourself, and your husband, Michael, we've talked about this so many times. If you will just start at the beginning of scripture, stop excluding scripture. When people come talk about spiritual warfare, they always go to Ephesians 6. Yeah, that's great. But guess what? If you go back to page one, Genesis one, and start reading without just a Greek mindset, which is what we've been given in the United States through seminaries in modern history, and restore the Hebrew mindset, you will see spiritual warfare everywhere. So we need to grasp that and understand it's not a sideline issue. It is the issue. We are on the battlefield. It is the Christian life. It's not something you pull out in an emergency. And it's going to increase because prophecy has told us it's going to increase. So we have to prepare and understand and work that out. You know, we've talked about the patterns of um, through the feast. God's patterns repeat. We're supposed to be rehearsing. And we've got uh, the Feast of Trumpets about to come up right now next weekend. These are things we're supposed to be rehearsing because we are on a battlefield. So if we will just start digging into this, not only does our own life change, not only do we see bondage start to break in our own lives, but it is that beacon of light that speaks to those around us, those who are unsaved, those who may be sitting on a church seat or a church pew somewhere who are are being deceived into different levels of occultism. It speaks to everyone around us because when the power of God is moving in a life, that's one of the ways that God draws the unsaved. 
because the evidence is there. The Holy Spirit is just pouring out of us in the supernatural realm. And people feel that even if they don't have the words to describe it, they can feel it. I, I want to, you know, because I mean, there's a lot of, um, how do I put this? There's a lot of disagreement on how to approach spiritual warfare. I've seen some where it's like really weird, but then I've seen some where it's like, if it's talked about, it's so watered down at all, you couldn't even dare call it spiritual warfare. Honestly, I've gotten to a point where that absolutely drives me bonkers when I run into that. Because I'm like, yeah, do me a favor, tighten up the armor, get off the bench, and let's go fight. Absolutely. And the equivalent would be to, in putting it in a, in a, a metaphor, is, okay, um, you're being recruited into the military. And your captain's coming, you know, to, to get you out of the barracks and saying, pack up right now, we're sending you to the battlefield. Okay, you're packing up your stuff. You get, you go out. You're about to get on the plane, and you say, "Who's the enemy?" And he says, "I don't know." Well, what are my weapons to use against him? Oh, I don't know. We don't have any. You don't need that. You're from the military. Just tell him you're from the military. What? How effective would that be if you run up and show your badge to the mili- to the enemy? I'm from the United States military. You can't harm me. You're going to be dead before you get there. That's the equivalent of what the enemy has done to the church. So, and again, you know, it's been said, and I discussed this in the book, there's a 17th century poet who um, made a famous saying, he, something um, along the lines of the greatest trick the enemy ever pulled was getting people to believe that he didn't exist. I believe that's one of the top three, but I don't believe it's number one. In my opinion, number one is making Christians get disconnected from the Hebrew roots of the faith. Because once we do that, Everything starts getting spun in another direction. When we restore the the Hebrew roots of our faith, we're not getting spun in a Greek direction. We understand this is a Hebrew thing. God spoke through the Hebrew people. He was born through the Hebrew Hebrew people. He declared his name in Hebrew in the very beginning in Genesis. This, This is Hebraic. So if we will just stop, and it really, whether people intend it to be or not, it really is almost prejudice. Okay. No, you know, these ideas that Jesus must be very pale skinned with blonde hair from Europe. No, he's not. He's got a deep color complexion. He was in the Middle East. He was outside all the time. He worked with his hands. He just go look at small villages throughout the Middle East. These people are varieties of medium and dark complexions. So he was not what we have been taught to believe. And so we have all of these things, they're small when you take them individually, but with a, a Greek mindset being taught in seminaries, seminaries being infiltrated by occult teaching and heretical teaching, which means once we know, because we've identified this, this started back in the 50s. Once we were able to identify this, which we can, it's a factual thing, not a, not conjecture, then we can absolutely say there's no question these people are in our churches because they went to those seminaries and were taught by those teachers and then when you've got the false picture of who Jesus would even look in your mind it pulls you away from God's city of Jerusalem it pulls you away from his country he says my nation Israel my people Israel we are grafted into them they are not grafted into us so we get an upside down theology well gee what does that sound like Upside down, the mirror is the occult of God's kingdom. That's what the occult does. It's upside down. They flip it. 
They twist and pervert it, but the structure's the same. I'll just throw a couple out there. Blood sacrifice, indwelling. That's what possession is. See, they imitate the kingdom of God. So when you start putting these little, they're like pixels on a screen. When you start realizing all these pixels are missing and you start putting them back, suddenly you go, whoa, there's a significant difference to the picture I'm seeing now that I'm restoring what has been eliminated from our view. So I'm very, very, very adamant about taking all of scripture. Spiritual warfare is not just about Ephesians 6. It's from cover to cover in scripture. And we are called over and over and over again with military metaphor. The Bible uses that over and over again, especially in Ephesians 6. It's all military metaphor. So it's not something that was done for you. I get that question a lot. I got saved. I don't have to do anything. Well, okay, you're going to need to prove that to me in scripture because I can give you mountains of scripture to say the opposite. So the burden is on you to prove that. So we have to get in. We have to get proficient. God talks about getting off the milk of the word and getting becoming a mature believer on the meat of the word. That means there is a growth that takes place. You are supposed to actually grow in your age and experience and expertise in spiritual warfare and in your walk with the Lord. So we've got work to do here, but the joy, and this is one of the assertions I make in the book, the battlefield can become a joy instead of a burden because you get to a position where you realize, okay, you, Teresa, I know you've heard me say this. When the enemy starts to attack, the first thing I want him to hear is the swing as my sword is being pulled out of my shield. And I'm stepping forward saying, oh, no, you don't. I'm not running and hiding in a corner. So if the Lord is telling me, you know, we don't go running around looking for fights, but when, when something crosses our path and we are supposed to be able to respond instantly with precision and expertise. And when I do that, I am praising and declaring the power of God is supreme. And as I extend my sword and rush onto that battlefield with confidence in who God has made me to be and that he equips us, then a thousand, then thousand will fall up my one side and 10,000 will fall up my right hand. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of something that my mom always used to say, uh, you don't ever start a fight, but you better, mm, well, better finish it. <laughs> I won't repeat how she actually put it, but uh, I think you get the point, you know, and that was, she meant it in the physical, but I think it applies very strongly here. It does, because what's the scripture say? The scripture says, run the race with great endurance, cross the finish line. There is a finish line that is for us to, to cross. And we are not to stop in the middle of the race and sit down. And if you're going to run a race, which is just like the military metaphors, guess what? Athletes are supposed to be trained. A good portion of the Christian church. I mean, and this is just setting aside those that aren't even saved. I mean, I think a good portion of the Christian, quote, Christian church isn't even saved. Yeah, because salvation and sin is not taught from the pulpit anymore. Everything is all about grace and love, which is the ear tickling that prophecy told us was going to happen. Guys, if I could tell you the number of stories, and I know, Sandra, you have a few few uh, notches on your belt as well. I mean, uh, skirmishes with the enemy and what that looks like. They're merciless. Yeah. it's. I mean, we're not talking, guys, about, oh, I just put on the armor and I'm putting on Christ. Therefore, I've got my armor on. I'm not ta- we're not talking about that. For someone that's hearing this and going, I'm not so sure I buy all this supernatural stuff. I mean, maybe this is all coincidence. Yeah, let's dig into that. Okay, so let's just look at some statistics. 
the Christian church in the United States, not other places in the world, but in the United States, is dying. People are leaving the Christian church in droves, and guess where they're going? Witchcraft and the occult. Why are they going to witchcraft and the occult? Well, one of the reasons is because they are seeing consistent demonstrations of supernatural power. See, Christians often, because they're uneducated in this, I want to stress that, because they're uneducated in this, they think, oh, these people go and dance around fires and do weird rituals, like it's some sort of a club that just does weird things. No, they're doing rituals because they matter, because these rituals are instructions from the dark side to bring supernatural power through into our, our universe and our realm. And if you actually believe that, that's a complete mind shifter, because then you're going, oh, crap, this actually is real. Right. So that's one thing is that many people in the American Christian church are completely ignorant in the literal sense of the word. It's not being used as some sort of an insult. Ignorance is not an insult word. It means lack of knowledge. So whenever we say that word in this broadcast, that's what we're meaning. There's an ignorance of what's going on in the occult. These are instructions from the dark side because they work. These are instructions. This is one of the things that Hitler did in the Babylon working in Vadelsberg Castle. They were bringing, there's unbelievable stuff that is really minimized and not talked about at all in the, in the, the non-believing world about the deep occult practices of the Nazis from Hitler down. They were way into this. They did blood sacrifice. They did these rituals because they were powerful. We've got examples in the Bible where the king was losing the battle against Israel and he sacrificed his own son in order to gain that power from the dark side, and they won. So if you start saying there is no supernatural, what does that mean? Logically, okay, and this is really scary, so take a breath. Logically, salvation is itself a supernatural experience. I want you to just process that for a minute. Salvation itself is a supernatural experience. And here's an even bigger concept. God is, by very definition, the God of the Bible, supernatural. Supernatural, that definition is beyond what our laws of science accommodate. So if you are saying there's no such thing as supernatural, then you are saying salvation can't really happen. It's all just a mindset. You're also denying the deity of, of God himself. These, these are very profound implications. So again, what we mentioned just a few minutes ago is that that's what the occult does, is the occult imitates, perverts, and does the inverse of God's kingdom and structure. There is dark supernatural power. They demonstrate it. They use it. That was given to us throughout scripture from page one. That's what happened in the garden at the deception. That's what happened in the deliverance uh, in Exodus because they were in the belly of the beast in the world at that time, at that time of the occult. There was major, major supernatural power throughout Egypt because of the rituals that they did. That's why their magicians laughed when Moses threw down the serpent in it, uh, the staff in it. Because they were like, we got this too. They're like, please, we can do that anytime we want. So you are, you are wrestling with scripture. I want to just stress that. So are you now saying that scripture isn't real, that it's just stories? Well, you start doing that, then that erodes everything about the Christian faith. It erodes who God is because without scripture being reliable, you cannot rely on the definition of who God is. 
Well, and let's and let's go down that trail for a minute too, because what has the enemy attacked over and over and over and over again? The reliability of scripture. It's why it's not taught in schools now. Yes. Yes. Matter of fact, that came up in the interview I did yesterday on the Common Sense Show with Dave Hodges, that scripture is absolutely reliable. And for listeners who aren't familiar with this, if they question it, please go pick up the book, The Case for Christ, because this was this book was written by a man who was a professional journalist and a card carrying, very enthusiastic, proselytizing atheist. And he came home one day and found out that his wife had gotten saved and became a Christian. He was so upset that he set out on a journey to prove how ridiculous it was. And he ended up getting saved and he's in full-time ministry. So get that book. Mike and I actually read that book. It will rock your world if you actually sit sit down, take the time and read it. I, even as a believer, I read through that and I was just like, Whoa. Okay. Yes. And let me give you a tidbit that he doesn't talk about, but when you get into restoring the Hebrew roots of the faith is a real groundbreaker. This was one of the things that just rocked my world. And it did for you, you guys too, when I shared it with you in the very beginning in Genesis, God says what his name is. And it's referred to in theology as the Tetragrammatron. And that is in Hebrew. It's the yod heh vav heh That's the, the Hebrew letters. Yod Hey Vav Hey. It's referred to as whenever you hear someone talk about Yahweh, that name. Okay. So when we look at it in the Hebrew, you need to understand that Hebrew is a pictorial language. It is not like English where it's just um, a letter that forms a word. It's a pictorial language. So Hebrew has at least three dimensions to it. It's got the letter itself that forms a word, but each letter also is a picture that has a picture unto itself that tells a story. And each letter is also a number, okay? So when you look at it in the actual Hebrew, the Tetragrammatron, the yod heh vav heh it literally says, behold the hands, behold the nails. And because it is the name of God, Dr. Michael Lake and many others say it is absolutely accurate to translate that as the God with the nailed hands who shall be revealed twice. Now for thinking people, When you hear that, that is like a mind explosion, because let me remind you, the the texts that we have of Genesis conservatively predate the birth of Christ at least 500 years. Other dates are set to almost 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. And crucifixion wasn't even invented at that time. Right. That's one of the other things of the proofs of Christ, because there are over 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament that are about who Christ will be, when he will come, how he will die, over 300 all throughout the Old Testament. So think about that. The yod heh vav behold the God with the nailed hands who shall be revealed twice. 1,500 years before Christ was even born, God has declared that name for himself. So the atheists will always say, because I've known many friends throughout my life that were atheists, They will always say, oh, that's just a bunch of stories that were put together. No, actually, if you do your homework, it's not. We have texts that can go back to the time of Christ. And we have texts that are dated to just 30 years after Christ. It's one of the most well-documented ancient books on the planet. 
So you can't just say, well, they just created the name of God to match Christ because they wanted to prove, you know, to create this religion that Jesus was God's son. No, sorry, Mr. Atheist. You're trying, you, you pride yourself in being educated and unbiased, but you don't realize that you're betraying both in that statement. And not only that, if you actually re- really consider, if the text went back to 30 years after, you have his followers who were dying. They wouldn't die for something that was a lie. Number two, if it really was a lie, it was only 30 years after the events of Christ. Don't you think someone would have spoken up and gone, um, what are you guys on about? This ain't this ain't true. That is so true. And matter of fact, in the book, The Case for Christ, he goes through this brilliantly. He just dismantles these arguments, which is why he got saved. So, you know, he dismantles this. Factually, it's not true. The things that these atheists throw around about the biblical texts, that we can prove it. It's not conjecture. So you can have confidence that there is something going on supernatural with the word of God. And the word of God says that the word of God is supernatural. It is not words on a page. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing the bone from the marrow. So if you start removing, since we're going back full circle again now, if you start removing the supernatural, you threw the Bible in the garbage. So what is it? So my question to you would be, if you are a person who is in a church, then this is a very painful question you must wrestle with. And why are you there? It's God is either true and real or he is not. And if you don't know that he's true and real, then it's going to be really easy to persuade you to stop going to church. What about when they start persecuting Christians here, which we know is coming? It's already happening. When they start persecuting Christians on a a greater scale and they come up to you and they invade your church and they put a, a gun to your head and they say, renounce Christ or die. If you believe it's just a point of view that makes you feel better about your life, you're not going to take a bullet for it. Because as you pointed out, and as they point out in the case for Christ, yeah, you can get a group of people like any cult, you can get a group of people, take a bullet or die or drink the punch, like Jim Jones, drink the punch with Jim Jones, the Kool-Aid. But you can't get people en masse to believe these things that are not true. And that's one of the things that scripture says, and I forget the reference for it right now, forgive me. But there's a place in scripture that says um, in the Gospels. We all saw this. Hundreds of us saw this. Here are the names of the people that saw us. Go back and look these people up. They will tell you. You don't have to just take my word for it. That's the equivalent of what it says throughout Scripture. The thing that's striking me, getting drawing things back to the underlining theme of, the, of this conversation, you know, if, if, if the enemy, first of all, he wanted to convince the world he didn't exist. He wanted to keep people away from Christ. I'm guessing you, the top out of your top three, I'm guessing that the third one would be to water down spiritual warfare to practically nothing. To me, it's one, two, three. One, he got the church to stop teaching the Hebrew roots of the faith. And that began with the separation with the Catholic church in, in church history. Okay. And we know from church records that that was occult inspired and um, also incredibly racist. They state openly, you are not, you are no longer allowed to do the things of the Jews and statements such as getting the Jews wiped off the face of the planet. Horrible stuff. So this is why that separation took place in the first, in the first place. So one is to get us away from our Hebrew roots because that's where the twisting of scripture begins. 
So all of our theology gets spun in all these different directions. Yes, we can still debate certain issues. I'm not saying that there can't be a theological debate in love once we have a Hebrew mindset, but I'm saying it's way worse. We are way off into heresy more easily without the restoration of the Hebrew roots. So to me, that's number one. Number two was getting getting the church to believe that there's no such thing as spiritual warfare. There's no need to teach spiritual warfare because if if there is no reason to teach spiritual warfare, if number three, there's no such thing as an, as the devil. So all those three things are combined. And yet all three of those things give us the very tools to defeat the, de- the enemy. So in other words, he, he took all of our weapons away. Absolutely. And that's why we're seeing the fruit that we are seeing right now. And I keep stressing this, but let's just mention it briefly in the United States Christian church right now. And Dr. Michael Lake was talking about this in the podcast that he just put up today on the 25th of September. Um, Boy, he was on fire. I highly recommend that you go listen to his Biblical Life podcast today. Um, But he was talking about this. The enemy is scrambling because he's about to be defeated. God is coming back. We're in the end times. He doesn't want us equipped. So in places like Iran, Christianity is growing at such an unbelievable rate that the leadership is now concerned that within, I think, if Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think Dr. Lake said within 10 years, there will no longer, it will be a Christian nation if they don't do something to stop the Christian growth in Iran. That is massive considering it is quote unquote an Islamic nation. And yet how many testimonies have we heard about of people seeing Christ? Experiencing Christ, getting healed, miraculous healings. See, this is the Acts Church and I'm imploring you to pray about what we're discussing today. This is the Acts Church. Spiritual warfare is part of this. It's not a peripheral issue. issue. It's a core issue. So we have to recognize there has been infiltration in the church in the United States. We know this. It's not conjecture. We have been all the tools to keep the enemy at bay and keep him defeated have been removed. So the church is swirling around the toilet bowl right now. It's very hard. People ask me all the time, are you aware of a church that I can go to? I can't find a healthy church. So we're in dire straits in the United States. Now, do you think that's an accident because we are the last speed bump to the new world order taking global control? No, I don't think it's an accident. I think it's it's by design. Right. So we are headed in that direction. Exactly. In the end of days, we are headed in that direction. We have a vital role to play. We are to be on the battlefield swinging that sword until the Lord takes us home, not sitting there with our hand, you know, our head between our knees, just saying, please take me home, Lord. I don't want to deal with this. We are supposed to be fierce kingdom warriors until the Lord returns or he takes us off this planet. We have work to do. And as we do that, the light shines out. The revival will come as we step into the role of kingdom warriors that we were always designed to be. But we have forgotten in the United States because the enemy has twisted the theology and teaching from the pulpits. So, okay, that being the case, and I mean, I think you've made a very Man, you've made a case around the need for spiritual warfare. Wrapping up, how does someone with your book start finding that freedom? Well, just open it up and start reading. Because there's no way you can write a comprehensive book on the subject. It would be massive. So what I did in this book was I attempted to do something. I felt like the Lord wanted me to do this. It wasn't my own idea. But 
I attempted to do a more comprehensive view rather than the type of spiritual warfare books that are on the market already. So I'm connecting these dots that you're hearing us discuss today. I give you a little bit of foundation of everything, but it's also a handbook. So you can go through and start reading. There's tons of scripture in this book. So, you know, and matter of fact, we've talked about this before, Teresa, even in my counseling, I'm very adamant about this because if I'm just saying I said something, then it's teaching you to rely on me, which is not my job. My job is to teach you to rely on your savior. My job is to teach you to have a more intimate and powerful relationship with your savior. So it's not about relying on me. It's always going back to scripture. What does scripture say? How do we see this? And so it takes you step by step through this. So if you've never had any spiritual warfare training, you're going to be able to follow it because I begin with a foundation. If you've had spiritual warfare training, this is going to take you deeper than you've probably ever been because it takes you in a, it looks at it from a more comprehensive view from multiple vantage points. I have been looking for a comprehensive training in this department because I'm running across a lot of people that need it. I'm going to be recommending this book everywhere I go. Let's, let's face it. I'm going to be doing that because we are living in a time where things are going to get darker. They have been getting darker. People need to learn how to fight. People need to learn how to get some victory, but not so much just for themselves, but so that they can reach out to others. Guys, if you need to find, if you want, if you got some stuff going on, whatever that stuff happens to be, this book, I believe, will help you find the victory. You can find it in, in the show notes. We'll have it linked up there at www.unresolved.life. Sonda, seriously, I love what you've put together here. I love what you're doing. If people want to reach out to you, how can they get a hold of you? Go to my website at myrtleministries.com. There's a way to contact me through that page. If you have a question or if you would like some prayer, I pray for people all the time. And I'll just leave you with these little points. And it's on the back cover of the book because it's very concise. This will equip you. So it's these are four bullet points. It's going to teach you how spiritual warfare is intimately connected with your relationship with Yeshua Jesus, how to walk in victory and joy through the battle, not just after it's over, how to defend against attack with skill and agility, and how to walk in power and love in a sound mind, not for a moment, but for life. Every one of us needs to know how to do that. No matter what level you're at, you can go to another level up in expertise with spiritual warfare if you will put the time in and let the Lord speak to you. So thank you so much for highlighting the book and giving me this opportunity. And thank you for putting the link on your website. People can find it anywhere on amazon.com and BookLocker. It's also linked on my website on the resources page. We are praying for you. I know because just we didn't say it, but all three of us, me, Teresa and Michael, were praying over the broadcast and over the listeners before we even started. So we're just know all the listeners. We want you to know that we are really, truly praying for you. I'll just end with this. You guys know that uh, I've been in like the throes of a, of a new project and I've got some interviews coming up like really soon. I'm going to be releasing a, one of the interviews in the God met me here series coming up, I believe this Friday. And if you want to keep up to date on that, 
go to www.unresolved.life forward slash launch. Just put your information in there and I'll uh, send you an email uh, once stuff gets released out. I'm really looking forward to, to releasing some of these stories. They're really neat. Sonda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for your contribution to this uh, ministry and even more so to the kingdom. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Well, guys, this has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.